Now, all kidding aside, I appreciate y'all y'all uh, singing and glorifying the Lord. I mean, it's uh, it's a real blessing to me. I think you can see the heartbeat of a church and how they sing or how they don't sing. Amen. So uh, you can tell that a lot of us are, are not Baptist. <laughs> we, we sing like we're not Baptist. We sing like we, we, we love the Lord. We sing loud. And I appreciate that about you. I really, really do uh, glorifying Jesus Christ like that. We're going to be at John chapter 3. If you have your Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 3, probably one of the uh, greatest, if not one of the greatest uh, chapters of the whole New Testament, uh, Gospel of John, John chapter 3. We want to focus there. I'm going to focus on that chapter this morning and on a single verse. John chapter 3. Gospel of John chapter 3, we're going to be there, we're going to start right up there at verse 1, we'll get right into the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man could do us these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Hey, Brother Jimmy, do you mind praying over this message, please, brother? Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here today. Yes. Um, we ask that uh, your, your word fall on our ears, greater Father. Yes. Amen, amen. So, this story of Nicodemus, notice, I'm going to go through the story of Nicodemus, and we're going to talk about this, but notice it comes, he was a Pharisee, he's also a ruler of the Jews. Not only was he a leader, a religious leader, he was the uppermost religious leader, so he really knew his Bible. He really knew what God's law said, and he came to Jesus by night. Verse 2 says he came to Jesus by night. He's not a sneak in. He doesn't want everybody else to see what he's doing, so he kind of sneaks by because he really wants to find out some stuff from Jesus. He wants to talk to Jesus, and when he does, he asks him about, uh, he says, came to, We know that thou art a teacher come from God, verse 2, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him, So the miracles of Jesus was convincing Nicodemus that Jesus was from God. Now, let me stop and say this. That's not true today. Because we have warnings all through the New Testament from Paul that when the Antichrist shows up, he's going to be doing wonders and lying miracles that could deceive the very world. So if you see somebody doing great miracles in the world, don't say, oh, they must obviously be from God. You better check them compared to Scripture what they're teaching. Because they can do miracles today, and the Bible warns us they're going to come. So Nicodemus is convinced by the miracles, verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily. When Jesus says, Verily, verily, he's saying, Now listen to me, listen to me. Listen to me, Nicodemus. I say unto thee, Except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God being that spiritual kingdom. Nicodemus doesn't understand, verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus makes the, 
makes a mistake that majority of people make is they always look at the physical side of things. When Jesus is talking, they look at the physical side of things. They try to look at things in a physical manner. They try to look at physically, how does this work? Or physically explain it to me. Physically show it to me. Let me see it with my eyes. Let me touch it with my fingers. Let me touch it with my hands. Let me taste it with my mouth. i got to physically see this thing. And when man gets a hold of something, he does. He gets real physical about everything. But Jesus Christ is talking about spiritual matters here. Nicodemus doesn't understand the spiritual side of Jesus Christ. He's thinking, how can I physically be born? Do I get back in my mother? He's, he's kind of mocking Jesus Christ with this. He's spiritually ignorant. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, listen to me, Nicodemus. Now listen, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now what you have there going on, brothers and sisters, if you have... The Catholics, you have some a Church of Christ, they'll take that verse right there and say, if you might be born of water baptism and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. They try to add baptism in there. Baptism is not nowhere in that verse right there. The problem people have is when they hear baptism, they think water. And when they, hear, they, they read water, they think baptism. And that's not always the case. There's many baptisms in the Scripture. That's not just a baptism of water. There's a baptism of fire. There's a baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's many baptisms in Scripture. And just because you see water there doesn't mean necessarily Jesus Christ is talking about going and getting in the water and being baptized and then being the Holy Spirit coming on you. That, those, those are not... Because if you keep reading, Jesus Christ explains Himself and He does that in verse 6. He continues in verse 6 and Jesus Christ says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So he's defining what he's talking about there in verse 5 as that water. Now, I want to point out to you that you're made up of about 75% water. 65 to 70% water. When, when a, a woman is about to give birth, what do they say? Her water is broke. So that he's referring to is the first, that physical birth. When he says that born of the water, being that physical birth, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's your first birth. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The second birth, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. We all in here have our first birth. I hope to say, and I hope this is true, a lot of us in here have that second birth, a spiritual birth. Everybody in here has your first birth. You're born of your mother. Everybody in here has that first birth. And what Jesus Christ is saying there is you must repent of your first birth. You must reject your first birth. And you must let God come in and you must be born again and have that spiritual birth. That's not something you can do. God's got to do it. That's why man don't like this. Man don't like this. Man wants to put his physical side in it. Well, you got to go get your, the baby's got to be sprinkled. You got to get baptized. You got to take communion. You got to come to church. You got to tithe. You got to do this. You got to do that. Just work, 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 work. God, man wants to work, 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 work the way to God. And God says, no, I'm going to do it spiritual. You must be born again. It's a spiritual birth. It's something spiritual that takes place. That which is born of the flesh it's flesh. That's your first birth of the flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's your second birth, your spiritual birth. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. 
I've had people come to me and say, well, I don't like the King James Bible because they have all those ye's in there and the thou's, and I don't, I don't understand, I don't need that. You need that ye in there. See, if you read through your King James Bible, that, the Y-O-U, you, is used all through the Bible, but it's not used right there. Why did Jesus Christ not say, you must be born again then? What does that ye mean? That ye is a plural you. It's a plural you. What we would say in Texas language is, you all must be born again. That's what he just said. So you see what you'll do is, when you say, if it's just you must be born again, what you can do is say, he was just talking to Nicodemus, he wasn't talking to me. And that's what some cults have done. Our brothers and sisters, your Bible says, ye must be born again. Everybody, you, everybody, you. Now, we, in the English language now, we say you, and everybody says, is he talking to me? Is he talking to him? Who's he talking about? You guys. He's, they, so you got, there's context in that, right? As Texans, we say you all, y'all, y'all must be born again. Ye must be born again. And then he explains that. Look at verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And now here's the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh. That wind is invisible. The wind's invisible, but you know it's moving. And whither it goeth, into verse 8, so it is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You know the winds, you say, well, how do you know the wind? You don't see the wind, but you see the results of the wind. You see the leaves moving on the trees. You see the trees moving back and forth. You can hear it blowing in there, but you don't actually physically see wind. You're seeing the results of the wind. And Jesus Christ is what he's trying to describe to Nicodemus is that's how the new birth is. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Everyone that's born of the Spirit. You don't see that spiritual, you don't see the Spirit coming on a man. You don't see that man's spiritual birth, but you see the physical results of the spiritual birth. You see a man that when you see a man get born again, you see him physically doing things different than he did before the Holy Spirit was living in him. For me personally, I was really, really into music. I was into doing all kinds. But when I got saved, the same music I used to love in the first birth, I rejected all of that. I didn't want to have anything to do with that. And the strangest, weirdest thing happened to me. I started liking these songs that were written two, three, four hundred years old. Amen. It was weird. I mean, I, I gave away all this hard rock music and started listening to There's Power in the Blood, Amazing Grace, and I liked it. <laughs> I mean, the old Keegan, the first Keegan would say, you're out of your mind, what are you doing? That's the dullest, boringest stuff. But the new man, the new birth, says, I love it. I, I can't explain it. I love it. How do you, it can't because it's a spiritual birth. There's something spiritual going on. Nicodemus answered. Look at Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Nicodemus doesn't understand because he, Jesus Christ is talking of spiritual things. Nicodemus is thinking of physical things. Touch this, touch that. Don't touch this, don't touch that. The, the works that are required by the law, Nicodemus, that's all he can think about is the works that are required of the law. Wash your hands, don't wash your hands, wash this, wash that. And, and he can't think of the spiritual side that Jesus Christ is trying to bring him to, to, to show him that there's got to be a spiritual birth. God's got to come into a man. You, won't, you can't physically see it with your eyes, but you'll see the change in a man or a woman when they're born again. They get that... 
first, they get that second birth. You've got to have the second birth. You've got to have it to get into the kingdom of God. He just said it. You must be born again. Uh, I had a friend that was talking to a Catholic lady one time, and the, as a friend's mom and a wife, and the, the, she said, you're not one of them born-again Christians, are you? And he said, yes, I am. My friend Gabriel said, yes, yes I am. I'm a born-again Christian. You must be born again. You've got to be born again to become a son of God. If you're not born again, let me tell you something. You're not going to want to hear it if you're lost in here. If you're not born again, you have no right to pray to God as a father. Because he's not your father. And I'm here, I'm here to tell you, I've got some bad news for you. He doesn't recognize you as a son. He doesn't, unless you're born again into the family. You must be born again and become a son of God. That's why we, brothers and sisters, that's why you're my brother and sister, because we have the same father. You can't, when I'm born again, I'm crying out to a father, not just to a God. A lost man, God is not a father to him, God is a judge. And he's already condemned, and that judge is going to judge him and throw him into hell for his sin. I'm talking to a God that's a father. You know what a, what a judge can't do? A judge cannot, if God is your judge and you're not born again, a judge cannot show grace. A righteous judge cannot show grace. But a father can. Right? So when I'm talking to a father, I'm talking to a father who can give me all the grace I need. The Bible says you're approaching the throne of grace, not condemnation. If you're, not, if you're not born again in here and you've only had one birth, you're approaching God and he's your judge. And you might be thinking he's your father, you might talk to him, but he's not recognizing you. He's not recognizing you. And he's not going to spank you like he spanks me. He's not going to deal with you like he deals with me. Amen, amen, amen. When I'm in Walmart and I see somebody else's kid misbehaving, you don't think I want to go spank them? <laughs> but I can't. That's not my child. But if my child's doing it, praise the Lord, this belt, whoop, come off, and we got some, and then they'll arrest me, amen. But the point is, is that that's my child. It's my duty to straighten them out. It's my duty to punish them or reward them or to show them grace. But boy, if they call out my name and they're in trouble, I'll be the first one there. That's what a good father does. If you've not had that second birth that Jesus Christ is talking about here, you don't know what I'm talking about. You've never experienced that. I have. As a sinner, experienced doing wrong and approaching a father that loves me and him saying, don't worry about it, I, I, I forgive you. We're talking about a prodigal son Amen? Coming home, done wrong, not been living right, and that father says, I love you, and runs out and hugs you and kisses you. I'm talking about that father. Kill the fatty calf. Come on in here. That's the kind of father God I'm talking about. That's the second birth. You, you experience God, and you experience God's love like that. Without that second birth, you're living that physical life. You're still in that first birth. You're doomed and down to a devil's hell. You're condemned already. Now, he's going to explain this. Verse 11. 
John chapter 3, verse 11. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and we tes and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. There's a trinity talking. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The we's in there. That's what he's talking about. Verse 12. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? What Jesus Christ did through his ministry is he told parables and he told these stories that have, that have earthly meanings to try to help you to understand what's going on up in heaven. And he used the, the stuff you understood, the sower sowing seed. He told you these stories that explained these ten virgins went out with oil in their lap. He's telling you these stories that you can grab a hold of physically so you can understand spiritually what's going on that you can't see with your eyes. And he says, Nicodemus, if I've told you with the earthly things, how are you going to understand heavenly things? I can't just shoot straight with you heavenly because you don't understand me trying to explain it to you with the earthly things. Look at verse 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And explain that verse. <laughs> Let's read that again. And no man hath ascended up to heaven. Okay. But he, that would be Jesus, that came down from heaven. Okay, that's Jesus. Even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, which is in heaven. I'm in he I'm, I've come down from heaven, but I'm in heaven right now. There's that Trinity talking. That only makes sense if God and the Father, God the Father and Jesus Christ are one. So you, you hit, what you have here is Jesus Christ is talking to Nicodemus, but it's God talking to Nicodemus through Jesus Christ. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. He's trying to call Nicodemus to being born again spiritually. It's a spiritual birth, a second birth. Look at verse 14. Jesus explains it again. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What's that story? That's the story when Moses was in the wilderness and the children of Israel, they were grumbling and griping and arguing about God and God don't love us. and why? We want to go back to Egypt. We don't like this place. So God, you know, being the way God is, he just sends these fiery serpents, comes in and starts biting everybody and killing them. God gets tired of them and says, all right, send the serpents, kill them. So Moses goes and says, God, they're killing, help us, help us. God, God says, okay, so what I want you to do. When you take the serpent, make it out of brass, and put it on this pole, and everybody that gets bit, if they look up on that pole, they won't die. So Moses makes a serpent out of brass. He puts it up on a pole. He lifts the pole up, and if somebody gets bit by that snake, they just look up, and they get saved. Jesus became sin on the cross for me and you. And if you'll just look up, because you've been bit by sin. You'll just look up. You'll be saved. That's what he's saying there. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Look at verse 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Just like those people in the wilderness, they looked up, they got bit, they looked up and they seen the serpent and they said, I'm healed. I believe, if I just look up and believe, I'm healed. And Jesus Christ says, that whosoever believeth in him, that would be in Jesus Christ, should not perish, but have eternal life. That's that spiritual birth. That spiritual birth comes by believing. There's nothing physical you're going to do. There's nothing physical you're going to do to get saved. 
It's going to be a faith thing with your heart. That's how you get the new birth. It's of grace, through faith, not of works. Boy, it's kind of quiet in here. I'm trying to figure out what's, what's where, well, we're off the trail, or we're off the tra tracks on this one. Verse 16, greatest verse. I'm going to focus on this verse the rest of the morning. The greatest verse in the whole Bible. This is the greatest verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Beautiful. It's wonderful. It's amazing. It's the greatest verse. God, the greatest person, so loved the greatest love, the world, the greatest number ever loved, gave His only begotten Son the greatest gift ever given. Whosoever believeth in Him, the greatest requirement, should not perish the greatest escape, have everlasting life, the greatest gift ever received. That is the greatest verse. I remember back when I was a kid, I'd turn on football. This is back, way back, when... Uh, Raphael Septien was kicking for the Cowboys. You would, they would, in the background, when he'd go kicking for the Cowboys, you'd look on the, in the background behind where all the stands, somebody'd lift up a sign, he'd say, John 3.16. John 3.16, John 3.16. And I was watching something somewhere, it might have been a basketball game, and I seen the John 3.16 sign pop up. I'm like, praise God. That has to be the most famous set of verses. John 3.16, John 3.16, John 3.16. Let me ask you a question, Christian. Do you have this one memorized? You should. I hope you do. If you don't memorize scripture, memorize this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's the greatest verse by far ever written in the Bible. For God, the greatest person. Why is God the greatest person? Because he's the greatest creator. Amen. He's the greatest creator. That's why it's the greatest, he's the greatest person, he's the greatest creator. Do you realize that people talk about how they're creators and they create this and artists do this and music, they do all that? You're not doing nothing without God first creating something. Amen. Everything you're doing, everything you're creating, everything you're designing, everything you're, you're contemplating, it first has to come from a God creating. Not counting, he first created you. <laughs> Amen? You're using his stuff to do your creation. They kind of forget about that. What about evil? I thought about that. I always think about well, how people receive, sometimes when I'm preaching, how people receive stuff. And I think, well, you know, God is the greatest person because he can do the, he's the greatest musician, he's the greatest scientist, he's the greatest chef. Whatever you can think of, God is the greatest at it. He's the greatest athlete. There's no athlete I've seen walking on water. He's the greatest at everything. God is the greatest of everything. And somebody said, well, could, can he do the greatest evil? Yeah. See, some of y'all don't know God like the Bible God that Scripture talks about. First, uh, Isaiah 45, 7, I, God says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. When Job was going through everything he was going through, all the evil Job was going through, he told his wife, What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. I can't think of anything more evil than a burning hell. 
You say, well, I can think of doing this, but forever? Forever? Our God is special. Our God is great. He's the greatest person because he's got the greatest fame. Everybody knows God. They might say they don't believe in him, but they know him. <laughs> God doesn't believe in atheists. They might say they don't believe him, but he's there. I remember that quote from John Lennon. I'm going to read it to you. John Lennon, the, the, some of y'all young kids might even know who John Lennon is. Ain't that funny? It's funny to us older ones, but there's some of you young people don't even know who John Lennon is. John Lennon was one of the creators, leaders in the band called the Beatles. I'm not going to sing any of their songs, but they were one of the greatest rock bands, I guess. The Beatles. John Lennon was quoted as saying, this is John Lennon. He said, Christianity will go. Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. That's what he said about Christianity. I needn't, he says, I needn't argue about that. I'm right and I will be proved right. Christianity will go. We're, we are more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. He said, we're more popular than Jesus. John Lennon was walking out of his apartment there in New York City one night, and somebody walked, a man walked up and shot and killed him. And as far as I know, John Lennon went on to be in a devil's hell. Wrote a song called Imagine, basically saying, imagine if there was no religion, imagine if there was no God, we could all live peaceably. And my, the last time I looked, it's all the religion causing all the hell on earth right now. <laughs> imagine there's no God. Imagine there's, ah, we're more popular than Jesus. I think it was two years ago, I was uh, on Twitter or something, and they were laughing because Paul McCartney, that's John Lennon's partner in the Beatles. He went on uh, one of the shows, what was it, uh, one of the, he went on one of the shows, but he's on one of the shows and he was singing and they were, they were laughing because all these people, on, all these thousands of people on Twitter, you know what they were saying? Who's this old man? <laughs> Get this old man off my screen. Who's this old crotchety old man on here? We're more popular than Jesus, are you? They've already forgotten about you 20 years, 30 years later. You're not more popular than Jesus. He's the greatest person. God. See, the reason why John Lennon would say something like that because he's using that as his standard of fame. He knows there's nobody more popular than Jesus. Right? That's why he said, he didn't say Muhammad. He didn't say, hey, we're more popular than Buddha. We're more popular than Muhammad. He said Jesus for a reason. Nobody more popular, nobody more greater, nobody greater than the Lord God. For God, the greatest person, so loved the greatest love. So loved the greatest love. Why is it the, why is it the greatest love? Because it's a giving that he gave. That's the greatest love. Jesus Christ said man can, uh, man can show no greater love than to lay down his life for his friends. And then what Jesus did for us? He laid his life down for his friends. The greatest love. You know what I love about the Lord is that I didn't have to love him first. He loved me. I didn't have to love him first. He loved me. Romans chapter 5 said, God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. 
1 John 4.10, John says, Herein is love. You want to talk about love? Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. That's the greatest love. We love Him because He first loved us. What amazes me is the great, why it's the greatest love. It's the greatest love because it's loving, sorry, no good sinners like me and you. <laughs> I'm speaking for me. Y'all speak for yourselves, but I'll speak for me. That's great love. You know what I found out in witnessing the people about Jesus Christ is? I found out that people, some people just have a hard time believing that God would love them. And when I get to talking to them more and really didn't deal with them, you know what I found out? You know why they have a hard time believing God would love them? Because they don't love themselves. They, they, they're like, there's no way God could love me. Because I've done this and 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 this. Yeah, God loves you. See, it's easier for a pastor to tell you that because I know everybody else's sins too. Not just yours. God loves wicked sinners. Praise God. That's the greatest love. It's the greatest person. It's the greatest love. So God so loved the world. It's the greatest number ever loved. It's the greatest number ever loved. It's not just loving Israel or loving the Jew. And that's his chosen people. Amen. We all know the scripture. That's his chosen people. It wasn't that God just loved the Jew. He didn't just come to die for the Jew. He could have. He couldn't just come die for the nation of Israel. He could have. He came and died for the whole world. Every race, every creed, every culture. He died for you. Not just Texans, not just white people, black people, uh, brown people, whatever. He died for everybody. Praise God. Praise God. When we get up into heaven, we all races and nations and creeds and cultures represented that God loved and died for their sins. We're all sinners. It's the, greatest, it's the greatest person. It's the greatest love. It's the greatest number of people loved. It's the greatest gift ever given. That he gave his only begotten son. There's been never a greater gift given. It's the greatest gift by far. Jesus Christ is by far the greatest gift ever given to me and you. It's greatest because it's his only begotten son. Begotten, coming forth from God. God, Jesus Christ came forth as one part of the Trinity of God. And he manifested out of God and he gave himself on the cross of Calvary. It's the greatest gift ever given. You know what's a great, you know what's a great gift to me when somebody gives you a great gift? It's a gift that keeps on giving, right? That you, 15 years later, you're like, you know what? So-and-so gave me this great, this great pair of plower, pliers or, or, or uh, whatever it be. And you're saying, I'm still using it today. And you think about that person that gave that to you. This is a gift that keeps on giving. Eternally. <laughs> he don't just forgive your sins you've done up until the time you get saved. He keeps on forgiving your sins, praise God. That's the kind of God you're serving. That's the kind of love we're talking about. That's the kind of gift we're talking about. It's a gift of eternal life. It's not just a gift of, okay, I'm going to save you for all your sins until this time, and you better not sin after here, because I'm living with you, and if you sin while I'm with you, I'm going to send you to hell. That's not your God. That's not this kind of gift. 
And it's not an Indian giver. God's not an Indian giver. He's not going to give you this gift of eternal life, and then you mess up and come back and say, okay, I'm taking it back. You've misbehaved. I tell you that story all the time. I showed up at the house and pulled up in a brand new truck and said, here's, your, here's a brand new truck. I'm giving it to you. Praise God. I wanted you to have this brand new truck. You'd be going, this is the greatest preacher I've ever heard. I love Brother Keegan. I love him to death. You'd be calling all your friends, talking about how wonderful I am until the next month when the ticket book came in to, for the payments. So well, that's not this kind of gift. God doesn't expect anything in return for this gift. He just gives it to you. You don't have to earn it. It's the greatest gift. It's the greatest gift ever given. For God, the greatest person so loved, the greatest love, the world, the greatest number of people love, that he gave the greatest gift, his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. It's the greatest requirement. It's a, why is it the greatest requirement? It's the greatest requirement because it's a simple requirement. It's believing. It's, it's, it's the greatest requirement because it's so simple. Don't you know if we were to require somebody to receive this gift that we put some stipulations on it? Don't we do that in our own life? That's why we don't give out $20 bills to the homeless people out on the street a lot of times. Amen? I'm going to give you this $20, but you better, go, better not go buy any beer. Oh, I won't, I won't. Let's go get some. <laughs> Y'all don't be suckers. Y'all don't be suckers. I have a friend up at work, and he was talking about, he was watching this lady show that, you know, we'll work for food, poor, you know, Vietnam vet. You know, she's only like 21 years old. All this other stuff. You know, and, and, and they, they give her a $20 bill, and he says, so I pull into Walmart because she's bumming money at Walmart, you know. And he pulls into Walmart, and he's in the grocery store, and he says, she walks out of Walmart with a 30-pack. You know what he said? This is what he said. And it wasn't the cheap beer either, Keegan. It was the expensive beer. He goes, I can't afford that stuff. I don't know what she was carrying, but don't be suckers. It's the greatest gift because it's got the greatest requirement. It's so simple. A child can do it. Amen? A child can do it. It's childlike faith is what Christ said. You, know, you need to have childlike faith. A crippled man can do it. A blind man can do it. A, Somebody laying in bed on their deathbed can do it. The elderly can do it. It's just simple childlike faith. And what makes it so great, it's the greatest requirement, is this. It's a whosoever. Whosoever. There's no class requirement. You don't have to be a certain class. You don't have to be a certain, well, he's a graduate of a college. Then he can get this gift. Or he's a, he's a PhD. There's no class requirement, amen. There's no money requirement. You don't have to have money. It don't matter if you're rich or poor. It's the greatest requirement. There's no work requirement. Praise God. There's no work. It's just a gift with the greatest requirement of whosoever believeth. It's just a belief. It's just a faith. It's so simple people don't like it. It's a whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Should not perish the greatest escape. The greatest, why is it the greatest escape? Because... Uh, you might could have a gift that would get you out of prison, but that's only for 70, 60 years. This isn't a gift to getting you out of prison. This is a gift to getting you out of eternal hell. It's the greatest escape. 
I love those old movies. I think it was Clint Eastwood was in that one where they, he, was in that, uh, he was in that prison, and then they get out, and then they, like, swim across the ocean. They do all that. This is, man, Christ gets you out, and you're out forever. And you're not out from prison like, oh, I'm out of the prison life. I, no, you're out of hell. Man, it's the greatest escape by far. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Have everlasting life. The greatest gift received. It's the greatest gift you can receive. And I'm going to, put the, I'm going to finish by putting this focus on this. You've got to receive it. You know, a gift can be offered and you not receive it. I've seen that happen a couple of times in my life where somebody was going to be given a really great gift and the person didn't want it. I knew a lady that wasn't having, had, had broke off relations with her mom, didn't have anything to do with her mom, and she had a, she had a, a, a baby, and the mom, being a grandmother, wanted to have, a, have, have her daughter back, wanted to have relations with her granddaughter, and was doing everything she could do. And one time that she ran into her at Walmart in the parking lot, and that, that mom ran up to her and said, and had made this beautiful blanket. It was for the baby. So I want to give this to the grandbaby. I want to, I, I want, I, and she's like, I'm not taking it. I don't want it. And just turned and walked off. And that mother turned and had tears in her eyes. Man, it's heartbreaking. I've seen gifts that were given. That's what God feels about. God's given these great gifts, and he offers it to you. You've got to receive it. Let me show you a great truth in it, doctrinally. Doctrinally. Let me show you a great truth in this. Let's read this verse again. I'm going to show you something. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See that should not perish? Hmm. So what I learned in the state of Texas, taking tests for the state of Texas is, the state of Texas loves to try to fool you on their tests. And what, this is how they'll fool you. There's a difference between the word, the word should and shall. So should is a suggestion. Shall is a commandment. We should know that by the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not steal. It doesn't say thou should not. Should is a suggestion. So when you go to the state of Texas, you take a test. So like I, I work for the, around landfills. I have to take tests about landfills. Passenger tires off a car are not allowed to go into a landfill. Period. It's against the law. So when you take the test, they'll put on the test, tires should not go into a landfill. You'll say, true. That's not true. Should is a suggestion. The correct thing is, tires shall not go into a landfill. That's true. You see where I'm going with this? God put in there, should not perish. You shouldn't perish if you believe in any. See that believe in? The Bible says something that will startle some of y'all. That the devils believe and tremble with fear. The devils believe in God. You know the devils, whenever the, the demon-possessed people, when the demons were come, encountered Jesus Christ, you know what the demons called Jesus Christ? Son of God, Son of the Highest. Are you come to torment me early? Don't torment, torment me not, Son of God, Son of the Highest. They know exactly who Jesus Christ is. They're, they're proclaiming Jesus Christ. Just because you know Him doesn't mean you got Him. Just because you believe in Him, oh, I believe in a Jesus, I believe that there was a Jesus, 
You, haven't, you need to believe on him. Continue there to verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus says, he that believeth on him. There's a difference between believing in him. If you believe on him, you're not condemned. You're saved. You got that second birth. You believe in him, well, you need to make sure you're believing on him. Two ways I can show you. I can believe in a surgeon. Oh, I believe that's a good surgeon. That's a really, really good surgeon. That's a really good surgeon. I don't believe on him until I lay down on that cold table and let him cut on me. Then I believe on him. Let me give you another example. Guy has, they, they string a rope across this big, great canyon. And, this guy, and the guy gets a wheelbarrow. And he goes, you believe I can take this wheelbarrow across that, on that rope? And the guy's like, man, I, I think so. And he gets on it. And he goes across that, that canyon. And he goes back across on that, with that wheelbarrow, goes across that canyon. He goes, do you believe I can do that? He goes, man, I believe it. He goes, well, then jump in. Let's go. That, that's called believing on. Right? I don't want y'all to be those that say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but you've never believed on Jesus. You never put your faith on Jesus Christ. What are you trusting to get you into heaven? You've got to believe on, believe on Jesus Christ. And he tells you, he confirms with you that if you believe on him is not condemned. But if you don't want to take Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you just know him, but you haven't put your trust, trust, you haven't received him. But he that believeth not is condemned already. It's not like, oh, I'm going to go unto heaven, and then God's going to open up these books, and I'm going to be judged, and then now he'll decide if I go to heaven or hell now. No, when those books are open, it's too late. He's just doing the sentencing. You're condemned already. So every lost man and woman walking in this earth that doesn't know Jesus Christ that's living in their first birth, they're a, what they call them death row. They're a walking dead man. And they don't even realize it. That's when they got that car, they got that cloud on them. They, got that, this, they know it's coming. And it, it, it tortures them. They don't have no peace. There's no peace for the wicked, saith the Lord. They don't, have, they don't have that peace me and you have because they know there's condemnation on them right now. We forget that that peace that God gives us in that second birth when we take Jesus Christ, how wonderful is that peace, how glorious is that peace that God gives us. I'm not saying that everything goes well in the world all the time, but we know we got that peace that when we lay our head down, if we were to die, we're going to wake up in heaven. We're not going to hell anymore. We're not condemned anymore. He that believeth on him is not condemned, praise God. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because of the sin he did? Because he's a wicked sin? No, because look, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, it's a sin of omission. It's not a sin of commission. We've all committed sin. What sends you to hell is not taking the cure. It's a sin of omission. Omitting the cure, which is taking Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Receiving that gift. Verse 36, in closing, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Mm. 
Hell's waiting on you. I don't take any pleasure in reading those verses to you, but I know as a minister of the Word of God and giving you, the st just shooting straight with you, like I'd want any preacher, anybody, or doctor, whoever, just shoot straight with me, doctor. Don't mess with me. Just tell me the truth. Here's the truth. Without Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. You, but I got good news for you. I, I got really good news for you. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will not go to hell. And I don't care what kind of money you have in the bank. I don't care what kind of condition you're in. I don't care what kind of sinner you are right now. I'm not talking about the sinner you are right now. I'm not talking about anything else. But if, where's your heart at? Have you put your heart on Jesus Christ? Have you received Jesus Christ? If you take Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, He will save you. I can't speak for everybody in this room. I know there's lots of amens I'm hearing. But I can tell you from my own experience. My own testimony that when I put my faith on Jesus Christ, I've never been the same. And I, there's, you, can, you can convince me of a lot of things. You can change my mind on some things. You're never going to change my mind that I'm not saved. I know I'm saved. I know whom I believe it, and I know he's got me saved. I believe it, and I'm saved. That condemnation left me, and man, it was so strong that, man, it's hard to convince me any other way. I know that I have eternal life. And it's not because of anything I did. It's only simply because I received that free gift given to me. And I had that second birth of being born again. And remember, Jesus said, you must be born again.